The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Dude, I know you ride in the mornings, and I also know that you live in Boston. Well spotted on my part, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And you also like the cold because you're, as you've mentioned, a robot. Right. I've been struggling with the cold lately. And so I got to ask you just to help me uh, respond in some way in my own life. How cold is it when you head out in the mornings? This morning, uh, I met up with the guys for a ride at 7 a.m. And it was 28 degrees Fahrenheit. (sighs) That was my. Oh, (laughs) Uh, that was my fear. Yeah. Yeah. And I did that ride. You will know because you own this kit, too. I did it in my cycling independent kit. So the short sleeve jersey and the thermal jersey. And that's it. I, I this is a podcast. I'm not supposed to be stunned into silence, but um, wow. Um, the problem I had um, was that it took me 45 minutes to get the feeling in my hands. Uh, I am unsurprised. Yeah. So, and the weird thing is like, as you know, I did not experience that the temperature as discomfort. I didn't feel cold, but my hands did go numb. Right. Like, so I was trying to use them and I was like, what, what, why don't you work? Uh, so that was frustrating. (laughs) Um, and the riding right now is through like, giant drifts of fallen leaves that hide the uh the the rocks and the roots like sharks <laughs> swimming just beneath the surface so it was a, yeah. it was uh it was a struggly ride and it's a, one of those it's a situation where you you want to be on your brakes quite a bit and uh-huh. um you know when your hands are numb i was just the first 45 minutes or an hour was pretty challenging yeah, I can I can see how that would be. Um, mm. Oh, uh, yeah. So how cold Thanks. is it there that you're struggling? Mm, it's much warmer, <laughs> maybe by like uh, 20 degrees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, at so at 48, which is, I think, the, the temperature P- you're discussing, possibly. I would be in shorts. Yeah, that's just not even an option for me. Oh, yeah. I would turn so white, I would become transparent. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. First of all, my legs seldom get cold. I put uh, at all. I put tights on this morning um, because it was breezy, but my legs generally just don't get cold. And then the torso, whatever. We don't have to get into this. I understand I'm not like other people. But I mean, the, the flip side, of course, is that I, 
I sweat so much in the summer and dehydrate and I have I'm as weak in the heat as I am strong in the cold. Yeah, that scans based on what you've shared with us. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I can't claim to have any greater strengths, though. So, uh, yeah, maybe what we should do is actually move into your pool now. Yeah, let's do that. So um, this week uh, we got a, a, a question from listener John. Uh-huh. Um, who says... Uh, I know Robots Creed is safety third. While I haven't consciously accepted this approach, it seems functionally <laughs> operational, especially on a mountain bike. These are John's like words. John. <laughs> My road, John, not me. My road fitness allows me to attain speeds that are far beyond my technical ability to remain in control of how my bike and body move through space. And in Michigan, there are trees... I believe that's true, which do retain their ability to avoid moving in space, even when struck by a flying or falling middle-aged mountain biker. Huh. Now to the question, he says, it seems that I always fall on my right side. Does this mean that I am particularly poor at managing the bike when I might be more likely to fall off to the right? Or that in midair I am adjusting cat-like to ensure that my precious left side avoids contact with the ground. What gives? Do you notice that you fall on one side more than the other? And what might we do about this besides stay on the couch and eat cheese puffs? Well, we should still stay on the couch and eat cheese puffs. I mean, cheese we shouldn't puffs stop riding, good, but yeah. yes. That's a you solid know, let's choice. Let's get that out of the way. You know, yeah. the, he, his options are solid. Yes. I'm more a curl. I don't know. Puffs, puffs. Uh, my kids are obsessed with um, flaming hot Cheetos. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Which are completely disgusting, which is why I have some every time they get a bag. Um, <laughs> so don't, you know, the couch is a good choice. Um, so the first thing I want to say is that safety third isn't my original idea. I heard it first from my friend Bruce who is one of the people I actually rode with this morning. At the end of the ride today, Bruce pulled out his bottle, took a swig, and then turned and squirted me square in the chest with it. Then he said, I squirted you. <laughs> I like so, Bruce too. Yeah, so, so, and I, there was nothing for me to do except laugh because, I mean, it was a winning move. Um, so safety third, safety third is a funny joke, but it's also in my mind, correct. Fun comes, <laughs> fun comes first. Fun. Oh, yeah. Fun yeah. is first. If it's not fun, forget it. I don't want to do things that are safe if they're not fun. So saying safety first is like, sorry, you, sorry, I'm afraid that's the incorrect answer. We have some lovely parting gifts for you. Yeah. It's like a whole world of nothing but pastel colors. Yeah. Yeah, not interested. Uh, mm -hmm. And actually, I think a little bit unsafe is usually a little bit fun. Um, so I'm not trying to throw myself on the ground all the time, but I'm also not trying to say, stay so far inside my boundaries that I get bored. Yeah, and there's. There's a balance here, right? It's it's yeah. a dynamic the, that the, the sliders on safety and fun are shifting all of the time. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I, I This may be what you're getting around to, and so maybe I shouldn't jump in just yet. But I'm just going to say, you know, safety is not a pursuit. Safety is a management technique. 
Sure. You know, it's not an endeavor. I'm not, I don't, if all I want to do is be safe, I'm not going to leave home. Right. That's your cheese puffs and your couch. Yeah. Uh, except, you, you know, you'll die of heart disease. But um, <laughs> at root, <laughs> I believe that once you stop trying to get better at riding bikes, the jig is up. Right. It becomes a much different yeah. thing at that point. And I'm not I'm just not ready for that yet. I'm not saying you shouldn't go out in perfect safety and roll around on bike paths and do like that is great. If that's where you're at with your cycling, that is great. That's not where I'm at. Uh, and, and, and that is a pretty hard dividing line for me. Um, so I also know a ton of people who, uh, disagree with me about this, including my wife, but I believe we've become too preoccupied with safety. Like, like you said a second ago, safety has become a goal in and of itself. And I'm just not going to live that way. You know, no. it's good to take no. risks and I accept sometimes I'm not going to like the consequences. That's all part of it for me. It's what attracted me to riding bikes from the word go and why in the 70s when I was a kid, Evil Knievel was my first inspiration. Yeah, I mean, he there's like a, a, a particular center in the brain devoted just to Evil Knievel. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to jump over uh, buses or break every bone in my body, but the audacity of it and the the um, fleshing out of the the territory of what's possible, I think, is amazing. Yeah, um, I I'm aware that the current path I'm on is probably not going to see me walking with the same cool cane that he had in his seventies. <laughs> uh, and I sometimes wonder, you know, if maybe that means that I missed a certain window of badassness. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's right. But I want to be kind of the evil Knievelist version of myself that I can manage. Does that make sense? Oh, that's legit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to be him. I'm not going to be uh, 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 Brandon Seminuk. I'm not going to be. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of uh, people who are amazing on a bike that I'm not going to be. But I want to be the most me. And I want to I want to figure out what I can do. And I want to do it for as long as I possibly can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh I will ride a bike as late into my life as is possible. Uh, the one thing I sort of wonder about is if at, say, 72, I'm going to look at some of the hills around here and go, dude, really? Mm. Uh, I Because there's just so much really steep terrain. I have this fear that I'll get to a point where it's like, oh, maybe I should have moved back to Memphis at some point. Um, <laughs> maybe you'll live in Memphis then. I mean, you know, let's not... Don't get caught up in the wreckage of the future. Oh, that sounds like an aphorism to live by. Yeah, yeah, that's a real thing. So, yeah, the most controversial thing I normally say in this conversation, because I've ha I have this conversation a lot with people, is that I don't always wear a helmet. That's the most controversial thing that I say that people get really bent out of shape about. Uh -huh. A lot of people believe there's no downside to wearing a helmet and that it's irresponsible not to every time you get on a bike. And I, I accept that they feel that way. I still don't always wear one. And 
I'll be honest with you, disappointing other people is part of my motivation. (laughs) (laughs) Because I really like how it feels, you know? I've never once in my whole life sustained a concussion from riding bikes. Mm -hmm. Uh, The data that I've collected tells me I'm overwhelmingly unlikely to do so. That doesn't mean it's not possible. It just means it's highly unlikely. So the risk of riding sans helmet is is small for me. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, in riding situations where the consequences of a heavy crash would have an impact on the folks around me, I always wear a helmet. Uh-huh. You know, if I'm okay. mountain biking, I don't ride a mountain bike without a helmet. Uh-huh. Uh, but I do. So are you saying like a, a run to the store or something, you might not wear a helmet? Yeah. Or if I'm on a bike path mm-hmm. uh, or most of my ride is going to be on a bike path or something like that. Yeah, I don't wear a helmet. Um, yeah. And the, that level of risk seems negligible to me. So my buddy, Peter Flax, who used to be at bicycling and these days is at Red Bull, um, the Red Bulletin, uh, he commutes to work by bike. Mm. And so he's, you know, he's putting in solid 200 mile weeks, week in and week out. And he decided to do a little experiment on helmet riding. And his conclusion was that when he didn't wear a helmet, riders gave him a wider berth. I've heard this from some other people as well. And so recently, uh, I I don't know, uh, nine months ago or so, a year ago, uh, I decided when I would go out on my e-cargo bike, the spicy curry, whether I was getting boys or making a run to the store or whatever, if I was using that bike, I would just try for a while not wearing a helmet because I'm not going to get going all that fast about, you know, 18, 19 miles an hour is about as fast as I ever go. And yes, if you plow into something head first at that speed, there could be problems. Um, but what I have found in my experience is that, yeah, actually cars do give me a little wider berth amazingly. And I have such, uh, mixed feelings about that result. Um, all I can say that I've done is I've continued to not wear a helmet when I ride that bike. It has not affected any of my other riding in any way, shape or form. I'm like you. If I get on a mountain bike, I also have a helmet on period. End of statement. Right. Um, but yeah. And you know, road rides, gravel rides, all that stuff. If I'm wearing stretchy clothing, I have a helmet on. Um, but if I'm in jeans and a t-shirt, I don't have a helmet on. Um, and you know, I, my thinking is that if something happens and I wind up on the ground while I'm riding the spicy curry, it's not going to be because I just fell off doing something stupid. I will in all likelihood have been plowed into by something that weighs, uh, you know, 14 to 35 times as much as I do. Right. And, uh, in that case, a helmet will not have improved my chances for survival. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, you know, it may or may not. But again, I just think I just think um, by and large, people are bad at understanding actual odds and probabilities. 
And, yeah. and especially around safety, it's like their tolerance for risk, they would characterize as zero. It's never zero. Um, so mm-hmm. and maybe and, and maybe listeners are thinking, no, John, it's you that's that's has trouble calculating <laughs> probabilities. That's that's fine. Um, people do hate that. I occasionally don't ride with a helmet on. And um, the thing is, I just don't carry the level of fear that a lot of people do. And I don't think that's right or wrong. I just think it is for me personally, investing in fear pushes against the way I want to live. Other people, you know, they like safety and security are huge values to them. To me, they're not, or they are less. So certainly they have value. Um, None of this is zero sum. (laughs) I'm just saying I prefer to hang it out on the edge a little bit. I prefer to do some stupid things. Um, and I enjoy living that way. And that's cool. So that's safety third. To answer John's question about mostly falling on his right <laughs> oh, side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do believe this is subconscious. And I think, well, it's subconscious, but it's also physiological or, or physical in the sense that I think it's how our brains process crashing. So I'm right footed, which mm-hmm. means, and this isn't true for everyone who's right footed, but it, I ride left foot forward. Uh-huh. So my left is the chocolate foot, as Hans Ray taught me a long time ago when I was trying to pretend to be able to do trialsy stuff that he can do. I got the Hans Ray how to videos and he taught me that my chocolate foot was my left foot. Um, what is your right foot? I, just my right foot. <laughs> okay please so the chocolate, the chocolate foot is the forward foot it's the one that powers the moves right yep. and your right yep. foot is the guiding foot it's the control foot in the back because it's the one uh-huh. that most of your weight is on yep so more often than not i'm left i'm riding left foot forward and when things get out of control i have a tendency to sit into my right side which is just the equivalent of using your planted foot to steady yourself Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. natural. I think you physio. You're just like, oh well, you know, stand on the most stable thing, and most of the time that's going to be your right foot if you're right footed. So from a balance point of view, it's the foot closest to the ground, and I think that it's just. I think it's just that simple because I notice the exact same thing. I always crash to the right. Um. So the whole falling on your right side is a thing. Mm. Like among cyclists at large, I remember a feature in Bicycling Magazine about this back in the 1990s Mm. uh, or maybe even the 1980s. Mm. It was a long time ago, but they actually took a look at it. I don't think they resolved it in any way. Someone proffered a theory that uh, you unconsciously, like your brain uh, somewhere down in the machine language uh, or system software, somewhere in there, your brain wants to protect your heart. And because your heart is actually slightly left of center, it wants you to fall to your right. So that was one theory. Um, Your theory is not a bad one either, um, except I'm kind of the inverse of that. Yes, my left foot is forward, but my weight bearing foot, if I'm going to say kick a soccer ball, I'm standing on my left foot and kicking with my right foot. Yeah, but that's a different um, physical balance position than when you're on your bike. And I think I think the analogy is more to skiing. If you if you're losing 
control while you're skiing, you're more likely to lay back, sit back. Yeah. And so I think yeah. that's what happens on the bike is that you sit back into that back foot, which is normally oh. your right foot. Okay. That's what okay. I'm saying. Okay. Um, yeah, that it, it, sounds, that's got legs. Yeah. I've done a lot of science by which I mean, I thought about this for 15 <laughs> minutes before we got on the line. <laughs> um, you know, as data gathering goes, um, I have collected a fair amount of data and, uh, I have tended to fall on my right more than my left. I have fallen on my left when really there was just no other option. Like right. my recent story about rolling a tubular, I was right. in a left turn. <laughs> my yeah. left side was down. For sure. You get pitched yeah. that way sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, all of the things being unequal, um, I have tended to come down on my right an awful lot. Yeah. Hmm. Very curious. Uh, I'm so glad we haven't resolved this. Haven't? Yes. Uh, well, I mean, we've gotten a little closer to some explanation, but, but you know, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I, I think I've thought so much about crashing. <laughs> <laughs> That's either a good thing or a very bad thing. And I can't tell which. Well, I find crashing fascinating. I don't, I don't hate it as much as other people maybe do. Like, I don't like to be hurt, but I also think my threshold for pain is maybe better than other people's, um, which may be related to my threshold for cold as well. But I th I find crashing pretty interesting. I find the, what happens with time and the things that actually like that moment where your brain recognizes that you've lost control mm -hmm. and does whatever it's going to do i find that between that moment and when you come to rest i mm -hmm. find that phase of um your mental life fascinating i i the way it, it appears in time the way uh -huh. your body does things without you you know consciously Being choosing aware. yeah yeah Yep. I find that fascinating. Uh, so I have thought about crashing quite a bit. And I think um, I found John's question really very interesting because I haven't thought specifically about crashing on my right side until the last few days when I got the question and, and was pondering it. Uh -huh. I was also thinking uh, like on the ride this morning, it was a challenging ride because of all the leaves and you can't see where the rocks are. And there are a lot of rocks and you're bouncing along. And so this trail that we ride all the time that isn't very challenging gets pretty challenging. And mm. I was just thinking about the way um, people of different skill levels process difficulty. Uh huh. Um, and so just, paging back to safety third you know i think your skill level will have some impact on how you process you know like one of the guys that we ride with is is a roadie and is off the back of these gravel rides because a gravel descent a loose rocky leafy thing is like his brain won't won't let him let go of the brakes uh-huh which is smart right or i don't know whether it's smart or whatever it's just where he it's is reasonable yeah it's totally it's reasonable. reasonable and i don't want safety third uh to be interpreted as recklessness because i don't think that's the case either 
I would agree with you on all those points. Uh, it, yes, quite a bit. Um, it's all very curious to me. And like you, I'm, I'm, uh, really drawn to, uh, those moments, uh, the, after, you know, you reach this threshold where suddenly it's like, oh, things might go very badly here Mm. or things are going very badly here. And then your limbic system kicks into overdrive and you get this massive dump of norepinephrine and epinephrine Mm. and time slows, Mm. you know, and we all joke about it. Like it's not really happening. It's like, no time slowed. We literally entered an altered state of consciousness and seconds got longer. Mm. Uh, And that's why we remember it that way. You know, everything slows down. I think it's one of the reasons in movies, you know, we've got all these movies coming out of Hollywood where something happens and all of a sudden, it goes into slow-mo. That accurately reflects our experience. It's not just some artful thing. Our brain does that. Um, You know, and it's also why we sometimes make these moves that it's like, wait, how did I... But I, I was, and then I didn't know I could do that. And you know, that's the epinephrine, you know, it's like, I went over the bars of my bike one time, uh, on a commute to work and I was upside down Uh huh. and I had this, my elbow hit the ground first or hit the road first. Uh huh. And I had the cogent thought. That's burning the skin on my elbow. I better move that. <laughs> and I tucked my arm and rolled. <laughs> no, I was still bleeding. I, there, there wasn't there was not some sort of like superhero moment where I completely saved it. But I had the very clear and considered experience yeah. Yeah. of that. Yeah. Yes. Hello, self. We should adjust this. Yeah. 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 And also, like, there are those things where, so one time at the Anadel race that Bike Monkey used to put on, um, I was coming down this uh, this trail called Cobblestone, which is super rocky. And to this day, I cannot ascend it without some dismounts, uh, which frustrates me to no end. Um, there's some really dyno moves in there in terms of getting over the rocks. On the way down, I hit this one rock uh, and it bounced me to the left and that caused my bar uh to catch a small tree or a very large shrub or something and that sent me flying to the right but i landed on my left side somehow <laughs> and broke my finger and i'm still not sure what i caught my finger on to break it um and you know, it's like the 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 bit where I remember my body beginning to sail to the right. There's there's that moment and then there's this blank space in my memory where suddenly I'm just down on my left side. And I don't know what transpired. You, and, need, uh, you need a Zapruder film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh you know, or a drone. Um yeah. It's very strange. 2012, when I ran off the road and had that really bad crash, my memory of that to this day is that there 
was a hunk of this uh, yeah. uh, base of a tree. Um, and, you know, like kind of the root ball. And that I needed to go left of that when I was going to run off the road. And when I went back and looked a little while later, you know, a couple weeks, um, no, that piece of tree was actually 40 feet up the road, or at least 20 feet up the road, you know, higher, that it was a um, a three-foot-long stretch of trunk that was actually in that spot. I had transposed things in my head, in my memory. And that's something I always go back to when I'm thinking about the fallibility of memory. Um, yeah. I was convinced of this. And then, oh, look, you were wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think if I'm telling anytime we're saying uh, this is what happened in the crash and my mind processed this, those are apocryphal stories, right? Those are not... Um, not potentially not in accordance with reality. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very curious stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. We're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. The Pace Line is brought to you by the Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for your poll, Patrick. All right. So it was th this time three years ago that I was wrestling with the worst depression I've ever suffered. I was in a really dark place and doing my very best to try to hide it from everyone. Um, hell, uh, former co-host Celine, I was hiding it from her and we were really tight. I was generally really honest with her about everything. My partner at the time could see it and she told me how I just disappeared. She utterly lost me to the depression and that the way that hurt her still makes my heart ache, I'll say. It was in December of that year, 2018, that I sought help and went into a pretty intensive program that lasted for a month and, we'll say, brought me back from the brink. Now, I know we have listeners out there who don't like hearing me talk about my depression or my work with psychedelics. I won't be doing that here. The point of this is, in my work during that program... One of the things that I was encouraged to do was not just to think of what I'm grateful for, but that I needed to make thinking about what I'm grateful for an ongoing practice, to do it on, an, on a daily basis. All this is to say, I no longer wait for Thanksgiving to think about the good stuff in my life. Um, so I, with Thanksgiving coming up, I figured I'd take us through some of those things and Get your little add-ons. An airing of the not grievances. Ooh. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the opposite therein. Yeah, let's um, do it. All right. Number one, my boys. I have two sons who are fundamentally really sweet people. They have their challenges. They aren't perfect, but they are good people. They have their passions, and it's fun to see them get excited about the things they love. And they love me. And good grief, I don't know of anything else that can brighten my day as well as that. Uh, it's it's pretty good stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'm in a, the same situation a few years forward of you. I've got two kids, two sons, uh, who are sort of big, lumbering one of them's taller, taller than I am. The other one will be in half a minute. And uh, they lumber <laughs> around my house and leave dirty dishes and all the lights on. And uh, I love them very dearly. And it's the best thing in my life that I get to be witness to them lumbering around and becoming people. Yeah. Yeah. I having them draw conclusions about the world and what they like, what they don't like, what they want to do more of. Yeah. Um, the things that they figure out about the world. It's all a delight. The, uh, we say, my wife and I say that, um, our kids are funny. Like we just laugh. We have, we have dinner as a family every night and that's not like, um, there's no hard, fast rule that we have to do it. It's just what we do. And we laugh at dinner every night. Every night we laugh. And it's like the the most valuable thing in my whole life, bar none, is just the four of us laughing. Awesome. And they're <laughs> they're funny. They're wickedly funny. They're cuttingly funny. I don't know. Uh, you know, for a lot of years, I was uh, I was sort of quicker, uh, quicker witted than they are. But now I just I sit back and I just take the I just take it in. <laughs> um, sometimes they you know, it's just great anyway. <laughs> OK, uh, number two, I'm honestly grateful that I see my boys accurately. I'm not one of those parents who thinks my kids are angels. Um, I think that's a real disservice to children. I believe that seeing them accurately is an important part of really loving someone. Um, and I think it's an integral part of seeing someone, as we like to say, and giving them that experience as kids, I believe, will help them recognize it, you know, when other people treat them that way, especially when they begin dating later on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, because my kids are in that phase of like becoming really becoming their own people, uh, mm -hmm. you know, where they're like less inclined to spend time with my wife and I and they're they're really sort of staking out their own territory. For me, it's giving them that freedom and letting them be themselves rather than trying to like force them into some uh, idea we have. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you about that. Yeah. Letting them develop ideas of their own yeah. views of the world. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, number three, I've met someone. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that because it seems like every time I say something too public, it ends up blowing up in my face. Mm. Um, I don't know why I've developed that sense of caution there. Um, but, but I have, um, but you know, um, relationships are neat. 
um, interaction with uh, people you're attracted to is pretty awesome. Um, and uh, I am immensely grateful for that. I told my wife I loved her like an hour and a half ago while she was eating a tuna fish sandwich. And she was like, <laughs> you know, she had like tuna on her lip and I was like, uh, you know, we've been together. It'll be 30 years shortly. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's the basis of everything I do. It's like the it's just. It's the team. It's the it's all. It's the springboard. It's everything. So I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly envy you that. Uh, if I'm lucky, uh, I might get close to 30 years with somebody, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, on to bike stuff. Number four. <laughs> warranties. Seriously. <laughs> warranties. Uh, this past spring, my allied all road had a rivet holding the front derailleur tab pop out. And as a result of that, the tab loosened to the point that the frame needed to go back to allied for what they ultimately determined wasn't a repair, but a replacement warranties cover all sorts of things in cycling these days, not just bikes or frames. There are some really interesting warranties out there on apparel and components, you know, not to mention like crash replacement policies. Um, this is an expensive endeavor of ours. I mean, it's not like, you know, a sailplane or, or drag racing <laughs> expensive or, you know, some other things, but it's all relative, can but it can cost a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. 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 Uh, and we have some definite consumables. Um, so I, you know, I'm suddenly feeling really grateful for people who stand behind their products. Yeah. I think there's a shift. Um, you know, it's not a secret that I do some consulting with, uh, Chris King, for example, and they have a real tight focus on, um, the lifespan of the, their products. Their, their thing is the minimum, absolute minimum amount of stuff that they make should end up in a landfill. So, you know, they make it better and they make it serviceable and they do all kinds of things that are aimed at that. And, you know, you pay more for their stuff, but uh, it's a long run investment that uh, should mean that their stuff is with you longer Um and should cost you less in the long run, not to mention being sort of environmentally uh, sound. And I think the warranties, uh, a lot of kind of, you know, like I used to work at seven and they're, they have a lifetime warranty on frames. And I think that whole approach, that whole recognition that like we can't be throwing everything away and we need to make things that people can invest in. Yeah. Investment grade products. Um it's yep. important. It's, it's more important than ever. Yeah. Uh, and I, the way that quality appeals to me, you know, part of that is like, yeah, you buy something of quality that will last. Um, I don't like replacing stuff. And so, yeah, the, the King philosophy, uh, really appeals to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I can say that, you know, as a consultant with them, 
when the economics of that stuff get sifted through, you know, you might make a suggestion about something and they are steadfast. They're like, no, nope, whatever this is going to cost for us to do this way is what we're going to do. And that's great. That's great. Like to have (laughs) hard boundaries like that. So, yeah, I, I absolutely respect it. Yeah. Number five, the gravel movement. I know that there are people who still think it's a fad. Uh, it's holding on better than disco. Let's say that. Yeah. Uh, but its emergence as a category has been important to me because it recognized things that I already liked, things that fell outside of what some of my friends thought cycling was or were. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, for instance, super hard courses you know, and riding a bike with drop bars on stuff that isn't paved. Um, It also switched the focus of doing events from just trying to hang on uh, the wheel of a faster rider into finding out how good I am at all aspects of riding a bike. Um, You know, when you, when you put people on a course that's smooth and flat and has you know, big wide corners so that you can ride through there at 28 miles an hour without scraping a pedal. All that's left is to find out who has the absolute, you know, best combination of strength and aerobic fitness. And that's not really that interesting to me after a while. Mm. It's very Hulk, Hulk smash. Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, there's a certain amount of grace and, and whatnot that you have to have in terms of handling your bike, but you know, it's, uh, you're not trying to figure out how to feed yourself over five hours. You know, you're not, yeah. you're not wondering which is the better line on a descent. Um, and you're not thinking, ah, I better not hit that rock. Right. I, I, I love it. I mean, it really captures the exact way I want to ride. Um, and where I live, because the trail systems tend to be small, little, little areas, um, Mm -hmm. it just turns, you know, where you would go on a mountain bike and just do lap after lap in one place. Now you're like, oh no, let's just hook, let's see how many sections of woods we can string together. And there's no penalty on the road or there's less penalty on the road because, you know, you're on a 40 millimeter tire or or whatever i just i mean it encapsulates the exact way i want to ride yeah 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 um and then there's you know there's the simple fact that like you know getting out of uh developed areas where you know man has paved things over and you know getting back into nature a little more um that's good for my soul absolutely it's the answer to most of questions in my opinion (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh go outside like in the yeah. woods that's the answer mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm with you on that <sighs> number six cycling friends my cycling friends are the people i relate to best in the world um they understand my struggles be it fitness diet trying to link try that uh, toy boat uh trying to drink less beer rather than more um and how after too many days of not riding i get itchy to be in nature and on a bike yeah yeah the riding friends are you know i was thinking about um you know my riding friends and 
Uh, the analogy I came up with is like we're like the Justice League. You know, we've got like a Superman <laughs> and an Aquaman and we have like um, Wonder Twins and I'm like the Wonder Twins monkey, Gleek. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember <laughs> Gleek the Amazingly, monkey? I do. I do. Yeah. I do. That's the role I play. But I mean, you know, everyone plays their role and I think that that is uh, really great. And I think it's also very interesting that um, people drift in and out of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but everyone still fits in a nice way. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, one of the other things that I've always really loved about cycling, you know, is how there's no limit to a group ride. I mean, there, I've certainly been on rides that were so big that the police like came out after people called and like started splitting the group into pieces that can happen after you've got 300 people on a Thanksgiving ride. Wow. Um, yeah uh we don't have the roads for that here well southern california doesn't really either um but that didn't stop 300 people from showing up and wanting to do the thanksgiving ride so that they burned calories so that they could go eat lots and lots of turkey i mean oh yeah that that is the natural order of the universe right i i mean i would just eat the turkey i mean i'm down for a ride i don't connect the two (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> ride good turkey good I, I don't i don't there's no balance point for me but you go on <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i get you uh number seven inspiring people um and and that's that's not uh i'm not using that as a verb me inspiring people i'm thinking of people who inspire me you know, there are there are people out there who uh, whose example does inspire me to grow, to be a better person than I think I am. Um, some of them are, you know, my personal friends, uh, like my buddy Eric, uh, who lives relatively nearby, just down in San Francisco. But for really lame reasons, I only see him a few times a year. Uh, but he's just one of my favorite people on the whole a whole planet. Uh, he's an absolute delight. And being with him is to be in a conversation that's immensely thoughtful and, you know, guided by real values. Um, there are other people, uh, more public figures like Gary Fisher. The more time I spend with that guy, the more I admire his equanimity about the world. Uh, he's somebody I see moving through the world in a positive way. He's doing cycling a solid service as an advocate out there. Um, and so I look at people like that and I think I want to, I want more of that in my life. And that desire on my part has certainly informed, you know, a lot of the personal work that I've done. And I think I've gotten, I've definitely moved in that direction. I've got miles and miles to go, but you know, progress right sure sure yeah i definitely have those people i mean and they change right they change the people who are influencing you like um my friend fez uh who is a a a yoga instructor and a meditation instructor uh and is into bikes is uh, we talk a lot about you know how to ride soulfully how to ride without ego uh, mm-hmm. And those are heavy conversations and the heaviness isn't the point. The point is like to keep your eye on the ball and do the mm-hmm. things that are enriching you rather than the things that are aggrandizing your ego. Um, 
you know, uh, mm. Steve and I spend a lot of time talking. Um, and 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 he's a guy he and I have in our conversations over the last few months have, you know, um, settled on the the idea that, you know, you should always try to be your 12 year old self. <laughs> uh huh. Uncomplicated, yep. stoked all the time. Just that's where that is the mind space that you should be in. And if you're not there you should be going there. And, and, you know, those, these are the things I'm, I'm going to turn 50 next month. And these are the things that I'm sort of like, I'm not competing with anyone anymore. I'm just not. Yeah. I'm just trying to to have the best time. I'm just trying Mm -hmm. to have the best time. Um, and sometimes, uh, that's type two fun and sometimes it's type one fun, but it's always aimed at fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that. Yes. Yeah. Number eight, my last item, changing societal norms. Uh, Here, I'm thinking about the increasing acceptance of psychedelics as a way to treat depression, PTSD, and trauma. Uh, Plenty of other things as well. Uh, The difference that ketamine and psilocybin have made in my life, uh, to kind of bring this full circle from the beginning, the difference they've made in my life is almost impossible to characterize. Um, but I'm going to try anyway. What I can say is that I love more. Uh, I love more fully. I love more freely and I love more patiently. And all those things add up to me having a better experience in this world. And I think, uh, the experience other people have with me, has improved. Um, and in some ways, I mean, you know, my own desire for fun, notwithstanding, I sleep better at night thinking that people have a better experience of being around me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, this is the project. This is the Mm -hmm. project is like getting right with the world and getting right with yourself. Uh, however you have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm also grateful. Uh, I'll bring the bike back into it that, um, you know, we have this climate catastrophe unfolding, uh, in front of us. And I'm grateful that the bike is such a valuable, uh, part of the solution and that I'm already all in on bikes. So it's, it's, a, it's not a sacrifice for me necessarily, but we're, we're already there. And, you know, I know that I've expressed on uh, previous episodes um, reticence about e-bikes, uh, even though I own one now. But if e-bikes are part of the solution, I'm so down with that. I'm just just that part of the uh solution of humans moving themselves through space uh in a more efficient and less uh deleterious way uh i'm all in on yeah yeah uh but also I'm, but also yeah. and i don't and i i should say that the ability to talk about mental health issues uh, I should echo what you say, because I have a post on the site about, you know, Movember and my own struggles with depression. But that's a real mm-hmm. thing, too. We get to talk about it uh, now in a way that we didn't before. And uh, it it continues to be a little terrifying, but also so much more possible than it was. So I'm grateful for that. 
Yeah. Uh, and I certainly respect that some people, you know, don't want to be caught in conversations about it. Uh, but those people who have reached out to us to thank us, uh, for taking time to talk about this, um, I, I feel a, a, a real responsibility to those folks. Uh, and I, you know, anything I can do that helps to serve as a, uh, a, a model for opportunity, um, I certainly want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's not maybe it's not for maybe it's not for everybody, uh, but I can only talk about the things that are my own experience. And though, you know, mental health challenges are fundamental to my experience. Also, you know, ripping it off a jump that's too big for me and landing on my right side is part of my experience. So we're just going to talk about it all and people can sift through and <laughs> like what they don't or don't like what they like and not what they don't. I, that sounds pretty reasonable. Yep. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Uh, are you doing anything fun this weekend? Um, I'm gonna ride my bike in the woods some okay. more. Um, uh, it's be, I mean, you know, I said it was 28 this morning. This is kind of my jam. So I'm going to be outside quite a bit between now and, um, I don't know, late spring. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what about you? What do you, what do you have going on? Uh, I'm headed to LA, uh, for, uh, a get together with some people I like a whole lot and also to do uh, research for a novel I'm writing about a rock band. Uh, I won't actually ride an inch this weekend. That's a bit of a bummer, but well, you know how much fun writing fiction is. Yeah. You got to ride the lightning, yeah. do what's in front of you to do. I, I, I am, and I'm loving it. I really, really am. Uh, right now, writing fiction is uh, every bit as much fun as riding a bike. I, I mean, I believe you. <laughs> we should tell people we won't be here next week. Yes. Uh, next week being Thanksgiving. And uh, while I won't speak for John, I have my boys all week, which is to say I'll be both a referee uh, and an umpire. Yes, and I'll be blanching Brussels sprouts and brining a turkey. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anyone wants well, my be- brine recipe, just hit us up in the comments. <laughs> I may. Uh, do I have to do it in the comments, though? No, you can text me. Okay. Uh, before we go, I do want to put in a plug for Revolting, the podcast that John is producing along with Steve Knievel of All Hail the Black Market, as referenced just moments ago. Um, and I'll keep saying this. It's not a cycling podcast in the traditional sense, but it's a terrific listen. I really enjoy it, and I get to hear it uh, every time I mix an episode. Uh, steve tells me it's really good. I never listen to, I never listen to my work, uh, but steve tells me that we're, we're getting good at this. <laughs> you are. You are. You started pretty well, and you definitely improved. Oh, great. So... Yeah. Uh, And the crash finally launches this week. It may take a few more days before it appears on iTunes. Um, It takes a while for all that stuff to talk to each other. Um, But the crash is all about unexpected lessons and silver linings that come with falling off a bike. 
uh, which we also just referenced earlier. Our fir- very first guest is frame builder Richard Sachs, but that will follow our introductory episode where John and I talk about what we're going to do in the podcast. Everybody, keep those questions coming. You send us great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.